Welcome to Accelerate OC, the only show focused on the people leading innovation in Orange County. Join our host, Carrie Ransom, and his conversations with the trendsetters, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders here, because it's time to Accelerate OC. Good morning. Welcome to Accelerate OC. I'm Carrie Ransom. And thanks always to our engineer, Paul, for making me and my guests sound so good. Today's episode is sponsored by my home here, Orange County's first venture studio, OC4 Venture Studio, where we are partnering with exciting founders who want to build the next generation of data-centric SaaS companies. And we will bring investment, a team, and a community around to help them get off the ground and get growing quickly. If you want to learn more or be part of our community, feel free to go to oc4v.com to learn more. I am really excited to have Fred Haney with me here today on Accelerate OC. And before we get to hear from Fred and his amazing experience and wisdom and stories, uh, let me tell you a little bit more about him. He is a longtime private investor, venture capitalist. Uh, he was a fund manager and also uh, an individual investor uh, in many, many companies. He's also an entrepreneur as a multi-time co-founder and CEO of several companies such as Novadime Therapeutics, Dynamic Reconfigurable Computing, and Pulse Sentry. And as a venture capitalist, he was recruited by a European venture firm called 3i Ventures to establish themselves here in California and had an office uh, here in Orange County for a number of years uh, where he set up 3i Ventures. And they were, uh, for a period of time, the largest venture capital firm in the world. Uh, he served on the board of over 30 private companies and four public companies. What an amazing set of experiences. And, and we were talking off the air about just the amount of pattern recognition that you're able to get through that kind of set of experiences. Uh, so much so that he was able to write a book called The Fundable Startup. And I'm sure we'll talk a fair bit about that today, where he talks about strategies for giving your startup the best opportunity and chance at raising capital. And it really draws on a lot of his years of experience as, as both an investor and operator. Um, he also, uh, several years ago, I mean, but this goes back into, I think, even the mid-1980s, he started a group called The Monday Club, which still goes this day, and I've had the privilege of joining several of his Monday Club events, where he connects startups and investors. And he also, uh, as a part of continuing to do that, he was a co-founder of Tech Coast Angels uh, over 20 years ago as well. So he has been uh, hands-on uh, as a professional, and he uh, continues this day to really serve this uh, startup and investor community in so many ways. And, and I'm personally grateful, and I know many, many others in our community are uh, as well. He has a PhD in computer science from Carnegie Mellon, so he certainly knows what he's talking about from a technical standpoint. He's been a director of the year for early stage companies by the form of corporate directors. He was named a mentor and angel of the year as well, and he probably should have my job. He's a former radio talk show host and uh, frequent public speaker. So, Fred, I'm so appreciative. Thank you for joining me on Accelerate OC this morning. Thanks, Corey. I'm uh, really glad to be here with you and glad to uh, see if we can help Orange County startups a little bit. Well, I appreciate that. So let's get to the starting line. Um, one of the things that I uh, really uh, enjoyed reading that, that you said is 
startups with a truly good idea should be able to find a path to success. So how would you advise a founder to really reflect on that statement and determine whether they do have a truly good idea? Let me answer your question a couple ways. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, there are a lot of good ideas that aren't necessarily fodder for the top tier high-tech venture capital. Oh, for sure. But there's a lot of good ideas that make a lot of money. Uh, some of them are good uh, lifestyle kinds of businesses mm-hmm. that might be good cash flow generators. Mm-hmm. Um, but my primary focus has been on high-tech companies, the Silicon Valley style high-tech uh, and there, uh, I think criterion, one criterion is uh, you, you've got to make sure you're addressing a large market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you got to do your homework, sharpen your pencil, uh, and really convince people that there is a large uh, opportunity, market opportunity for your product. You've also got to demonstrate that you've got a very clearly defined uh, unfair, sustainable, competitive advantage. I mean, that sounds trite, but that's what Silicon Valley venture capital is based on. I mean, the, the whole idea of, of those uh, venture capital firms and the early startups uh, was companies that had uh, some kind of sustainable, competitive advantage, probably proprietary, probably protected mm-hmm. by patents. Uh, and the venture capitalists were counting on that uh, to help a small company carve out a significant territory where other big companies like IBM and Intel and, and uh, all the uh, computer and electronics guys um, had a lot of space. I, I think that the other thing they need to do is convince investors, if they're trying to raise money, uh, that they're solving a really important problem. I mean, that's a little more subjective, but uh, you know, you can put your argument together. Uh, it ties into uh, my first point that it needs to be a large market, um, but you also need to be addressing a really significant problem. I mean, mm-hmm. just because there's a lot of people who might be buy the product doesn't mean that it's compelling. Uh, sure. That people sure. really need to have the product. So yeah, we talked. Yeah, that's Those a great point. Yeah. Are a good place to start. Yeah, I think it's a great place to start. I mean, I, we, we, talk a lot here about, I mean, particularly on the, the problem side, uh, that often we have people that will show up with a solution looking for problems to solve, as opposed to really deeply understanding the nature of that problem. And, you know, a lot of, to your point, there are a lot of problems out there that people just aren't that interested in solving because it's not painful enough for them to feel compelled to do so. And, and getting human behavior change is, is, never easy. So sometimes uh, a really painful problem is a motivator to get people to, to act. Right. And, and those are your customers. So great point. So I really like that you talk about uh, unfair advantage. One of the things that I feel like we're seeing in this era right now um, is it's sort of this shift from, I'll call it technology, meaning software and writing a lot of code, which has become increasingly easier. And you even have things like no code and these other movements to really a a product centric sort of approach to things. And sometimes IP or other technology advantages are non-existent. So how do you now 
in a world where that sort of IP or other moats that maybe historically people had, how do you think about unfair advantage today? Because that, that technology aspect in many cases is sort of off the table. Like when we look at opportunities, we go, oh, we can get that built. Like getting it built is not the problem. It's uh, how are you going to go execute a great high-scale business around it? Yeah, yeah it, 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 it's a different world today than uh, it was certainly 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, if you look back in the 80s at uh, the areas, the target industries where venture capital was going, a lot of it was uh, uh, computers and electronics, mm -hmm. chips, uh, hard technology. Mm -hmm. If you look at that list today, there's a lot more uh, consumer products, uh, internet-related uh, things. Uh, healthcare and biotech are up there pretty high. Mm -hmm. Especially in the uh, consumer products and internet-related things, I, I honestly don't know how the VCs mm -hmm. today sort out competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the whole idea of having uh, sort of patents and and defenses and protection uh, that's going to last you 15 or 20 years, uh, it still works in some areas. I mean, it still works in biotech. It still mm -hmm. works in medical mm -hmm. devices. Uh, it, it works in some other areas, um, but the Supreme Court's made it pretty hard to patent software. Mm -hmm. uh, very hard to get patents around software. Uh, it's very hard to get patents uh, around apps that mm -hmm. are going to be uh, out on the internet. Um, and I think the thinking has sort of shifted, and I'm not entirely comfortable about it. I, I still like unfair competitive advantage, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but. Uh, the the thinking has shifted sort of in the Amazon direction, uh, you know, first mover advantage, mm -hmm. uh, go out and capture a lot of eyeballs and worry later about uh, making a profit. Uh, I, I mean, Amazon's become kind of the new uh, uh, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, you know, but mm -hmm. well, we're here first, we're going to capture a lot of eyeballs. Fine. <laughs> That's nice to say. And it's it's often the case that uh, the uh, a first guy in who has is well funded and mm -hmm. um, can go out and kind of grab uh, a sector of the market may be the survivor. Uh, but it's a different game. I mean, it, it, sure. it requires a lot of capital. It requires being pretty aggressive, requires a lot of patience. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I mean, I, I often refer to Amazon as the quintessential venture studio to some extent, because if you really look at what they're doing, they're they're taking all the additional cash flow that they bring in and they're reinvesting it into new projects and new ventures that they continue to experiment with and launch. And it's it's pretty impressive to watch. The question is sort of over what time horizon should they be being evaluated? And, you know, they they've said, hey, we're going to just take the longer time horizon than anybody else. And that's what's going to allow us to succeed, which is a fascinating thing to watch. Well, they've sure made it work. I guess the, the mm -hmm. question is who was brave enough to jump in at the beginning? Right. I mean, at the beginning, a, a lot of people said, um, you know, how's that ever going to work? You yeah. know, they they okay. don't really have a profit model. They, they mm -hmm. don't have a business model. And even, um, I don't know, some years into it, you know, people were still saying, how are these guys ever going to make money? Sure. I guess the people, who, if I saw this number the other day, I don't remember it. If, if you bought a dollar's worth of stock at the beginning, it's worth, I don't know, 300,000 bucks now or something like that. It's just a, a, an incredible multiple. 
but who would have had the guts to sure. uh, make that decision early on? So mm -hmm. I see companies all the time who uh, are claiming that uh, they're going to—they've got first mover advantage. They're going to—they're mm -hmm. going to get in first. They're going to get in big. They're going to capture big share. But you know, how many other guys are? saying the same thing that's right. that's it's right. a tricky game it, it's not as cut and dry as we've got three patents around this thing so i i tend just my personal preference um i i tend to uh steer away a little bit from the consumer products and the mm -hmm. apps i mean the other problem with consumer products is that i'm not smart enough to figure out uh, which singer is going to get the platinum mm -hmm. record? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there are going to be some hits mm -hmm. um, with uh, all these apps coming out, and some of them are very clever uh, ideas. But it's just really hard to know which one's going to take off. And and in this last decade, uh, the world's been kind of binary. I mean, you, you mm -hmm. either became a unicorn or you hit the trash heap, sure. and, and uh, not a whole lot in between. Well, then I think that's been fascinating and, and probably something we should be studying more and more as early stage investors, as company builders. I mean, as you're seeing now this this great implosion happening with things like SoftBank and um, that, you know, as I described it over the last few years, you've seen this scenario where because unfair advantage has been difficult to really assert, you have all these companies down here at this level that are getting funded by angels and small funds and the funds at the top have just gotten bigger and bigger and waited longer. And they've said, we'll just wait for one of these to emerge and then we'll drown it in capital to almost ensure that it succeeds. And yeah. it's still, uh, I, yeah, it's still sort of this open question now of, is that a great strategy? And if there's not a real business there, it clearly is not a, a great strategy um, that we're now starting to see. I mean, I, I saw a headline this morning that said, Will Airbnb survive this? And you know, a lot of people were saying that's going to be a amazing long term success story. So it's a it's a really fascinating time to look backwards. I mean, that that's where I always appreciate the perspective from folks like you that have, have been through multiple cycles. Because you know, I want to talk in a minute about you know what stayed the same. Because I will be curious, you know, your thoughts there. But I, you know, what what do you feel like the well, the new normal is going to look like. Well, I think getting the man in the street into the equity investing business um, has created some problems. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, the, yes, there's more sources of capital for startups. Um, and when I say the man in the street, I'm also I'm at both ends. I mean, I talk about like uh, equity crowdfunding at mm -hmm. one end and then mm -hmm. uh, IPOs at, at the other. Um, and I, I think the man in the street is more susceptible to uh, the hype and uh, mm -hmm. storytelling that goes on. Uh, and I think that's created uh, some problems. It sort of uh, enabled the unicorn world. It was probably the part of the WeWork problem. There's just a whole bunch of, of issues that come about. But I, one thing that uh, I, I did a little research project on this last year, because one of my friends said, you know, the, you talk about the VCs, but the VCs invest in fewer than 1% of the companies, so they're kind of irrelevant. Um, and I scratched my head a little bit and went off and did some homework. And, and the, the answer is, that's true. I mean, you can find statistics that say it's 
0.0625% of the startups or something like that that get venture capital. But if you look at the companies that go public, a third of them have venture capital back. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? Yeah, what does that tell you? I mean, what that tells me is that the, the top tier VCs, the guys who have been doing this for a long time and really know what they're doing, they're doing a great job of cherry picking the good deals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're looking at at a hundred deals and they're finding the one uh, that has a pretty good shot at at uh, being a, a successful company, uh, and they're doing a pretty good job of of uh, of, of cherry picking. So. To me, that doesn't mean the VCs are irrelevant um, at all. It just means they're doing a pretty good job of, of picking. And, and that whole theme of uh, trying to be the one out of 100 that actually gets funded is part of what's behind my book. That's part of what's behind the, the fundable startup. Because I think uh, I mean, some people would say, geez, they're only doing one out of 100. We need a lot of other sources of capital. That's not my answer. My answer is we need more fundable companies. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. <laughs> we, we, we need more companies that are attractive to the to the VCs because they have their rules, they have their criteria, uh, and those other ninety nine companies uh, probably don't quite stack up. I mean, yeah, I to- I totally agree with you. Right? I mean, that, the whole notion of uh, of what I'm doing now is, as my full time endeavor is about producing a greater supply of fundable companies because you can't just, I mean, you know, being a great entrepreneur is a skill. It's not, uh, it's not something that is just, you just sort of show up. Like you, you have to refine it and learn. And, and we were talking about, you know, the number of boards and experiences that uh, people like you have had uh, and companies that you've been a part of. And that's just like that pattern is really, really valuable in developing that perspective and that skill set. And I'm sure, okay. you know, is a big part of your book. And so as you think back a- across your career and even your, your book, you, what do you feel like is, has stayed the same as far as what makes a company fundable? Well, it, probably some of the same points. I mean, the, the, the guys who are really addressing a big market, they're mm-hmm. addressing a, a real problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have some kind of a, they either have uh, an unfair competitive advantage or at least they have a good uh, competitive advantage strategy. Sure. They, sure. they have a, a good uh, plan for positioning themselves. They understand the markets they're in. They understand the competition and mm-hmm. they, they see a way to partition. Um, the, the strong theme for me, and it, and it hasn't, and this, this is absolutely constant, uh, uh, is the um, the need for uh, really strong management uh, mm-hmm. in these companies at the, at the top levels? In my uh, venture capital uh, experience, we funded sixty companies, so we we put eighty million dollars into sixty different companies. I did twelve of those myself, so I was the direct investor. I was the guy on the board of directors mm-hmm. in twelve. Uh, so out of twelve companies. And those turned out pretty well. They weren't uh, there weren't any unicorns in there, but there were some twenty x thirty x kind of companies. I was in uh, Sierra, Sierra Semiconductor, which mm-hmm. was a good good company. Microlinear was a good company. A couple others that were uh, bought at nice nice returns. But I had to replace the CEOs in seven of my twelve companies. Mm-hmm. And I say I. Um, 
I, I wasn't always the lead investor in those projects. Uh, but seven times I basically went to the non-executive members of the board of directors and, and said, hey, uh, am I the only person who's unhappy with the way things are going here? And all the hands went up and we put together a search committee and went out and found a new CEO. That was seven out of 12. And those were mm -hmm. deals that supposedly had already sort of passed, passed the test. Sure. So in my experience, uh, you talk about the one versus the 99, you know, the, the one that gets funded. Uh, that's usually the one that has uh, the strongest, most experienced uh, track record management team. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that takes a lot of risk out of, out of it for the venture capitalists. So, so the trick is, you know, how do I get like that? Sure. Or, or if I don't have that kind of experience... Uh, how do I demonstrate uh, what I can do? Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot of that, I think a lot of it comes down to coachability. And uh, my friend, you know, Steve Frenzinger talks a lot about self-awareness. And, you know, there's this, it's, it, you know, I, I think you, you talk about this and write about this a lot, that there's this skill set that someone has to have to be an entrepreneur that sometimes actually gets in the way of them being a good CEO. So, the job starts to change over time and some people just aren't as adaptable and maybe shouldn't be. I mean, there are, there are clearly people I've met who are really good at starting things and they, they may not be for the next season or the next season, the right person. And, you know, that, that's partly what I always say company building is a team sport. I mean, you need boards, you need these other people around the table to really help at times look at this from different perspectives to, to try to solve it in the best possible way. I, I think people don't appreciate a lot of founders, you, you know, the, uh, a lot of founders have the dream. Oh boy. I'm going to get some background noise here. Uh, my gardener. A lot of founders have the dream uh, that Paul talked about uh, before we started, you know, you, you sit down at lunch, you write your business plan on a napkin, you get 5 mm -hmm. million bucks and you go public. <laughs> That's sort of the Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs uh, version of things. And it just rarely works that way. And what people, I think, don't understand, and I spend a lot of time in the fundable startup trying to make this point. Uh, someone who is a really good uh, CEO, ex you know, has the experience and, and uh, really knows what they're doing and, and uh, is good at making decisions, hiring, firing, all the things CEOs have to do, probably has between 15 and 20 years of experience doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I've got case studies in my book of, of people, a couple of people who climbed the corporate ladder from, uh, you know, salesman at IBM or salesperson at, at uh, Computer Sciences Corporation uh, up to the very top levels, uh, you know, the, the chairman of Computer Sciences Corporation. And it's a long step-by-step -step process. And I don't think you can really shortcut that. Mm -hmm. You know, some people have good instincts. Yeah, that's probably true. But um, there's a lot more than instinct involved in uh, managing a company, building a company. I mean, to me, building a company is a very specific set of, of tasks. Uh, and uh, um, I, I'm not sure. I don't think you can, unless you've got really good material to start with, you can't really coach that. You can't mm -hmm. teach that. I mean, you can't 
put somebody into an organization for six months or 12 months uh, and shortcut uh, a 15 or 20 year process hmm. uh, that turns them into a truly experienced uh, top level executive. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really interesting perspective. So as, as you've thought about that more, how is that or has it changed at all your approach to early stage investing? Well, it basically uh, is my approach. Mm-hmm. Um, to, if I tell a story, uh, and again, this is uh, told in my book, one of the most illustrative uh, stories is DRC computer, dynamic reconfigurable computing. Uh, the inventor of reconfigurable computing was a really good idea, a very powerful idea. Kind of combines uh, the best of hardware with the best of software, and it says, "I can build a computer that can be re-architect. I mean, the fundamental architecture of the computer can be flipped on the fly, you know, at runtime." Well, why would you ever want to do that? Well, I might like to pipeline fifty thousand uh, processes mm-hmm. in parallel for a little while. Uh, there are a lot of reasons that you might like to do that to get very high power computing. So the guy uh, who invented that was an expert of both hardware and software, one of very few people who could have mm-hmm. had the idea. And uh, he put a little company together. He got some grants. He got some contracts uh, built up, eight or ten people. Uh, he asked me to join his board, uh, and he, he tried to raise venture capital, but the VCs kept turning him down because he insisted on being the CEO. Mm. And he, he was a really strong technical guy, but he had uh, very little management experience and, uh, and not a lot of management skill. Um, and then when the dot-com bubble hit, um, it took him down. Mm. And uh, I mean, he, he, he lost contracts. He had to uh, let go of his office and his employees. But I went to him and said, uh, uh, Steve, I, th- I think you've got a great idea. We can build a company here, but we're going to have to bring in uh, uh, an experienced CEO. So we spent a year or two and uh, did some searching and relationship building. And we found a, a guy who had been uh, the uh, chief operating officer at Tandem Computers in the mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. Very senior, very experienced guy, kind of in between assignments and glad to do an equity kind of a deal. Uh, and uh, he joined the company and we, we, he worked for maybe a year or something like that before we uh, went out for funding. We, we put plans together, put a business plan together. We were with, with him at the helm. We raised $7 million in venture capital and built uh, a company around this most powerful DNA sequencing computer on the planet. Hmm. So the, the role I played there was to just recognize that we needed to solve the management problem and get somebody like him involved. Mm-hmm. At Novadime, I won't tell the whole story, but at Novadime Therapeutics, <coughs> there I served as a bridge. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the CEO of, at the time, Los Angeles Biomedical Research Institute, came to me and said, I think the people in our uh, infectious diseases department have a great idea uh, but they wouldn't know how to commercialize it. Can you help with that? So for four or five years, I played the role of CEO, which at that time meant negotiating a license agreement, uh, putting together some business plans, uh, bringing in a couple other people, talking to some executive recruiters. <coughs> and uh, then we went out and talked to the venture capital uh, world and raised that uh, we got a commitment from domain associates 
for, I want to say $17 million or something like that. Um, and part of the deal was, uh, once we got some money in the bank, we turned on one of the top executive recruiters and brought in a CEO from the vaccine industry. This was a vac- This was a f- the first fungal vaccine. It was a vaccine hmm. for both candidiasis. So, yeah, there are, I mean, there are those times, right, that, that, that uh, either recognize it or you, you sort of structure it, I think, is a, is a really uh, good way to, to think about it. But again, I mean, I think it speaks to why I feel like having those good, whether it's advisors or board members or others, investors, others around, um, and, and proactively, you know, if you're the founder, proactively looking for that feedback of, you know, it, I've, I've heard people talk about the idea of re-interviewing for the job throughout the process to really see, like, are you still a legitimate candidate? Um, do you have the right skills and, and, and approach? And, you know, the, the part that I think sometimes I see as a challenge is it's one thing, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, right? Like the 1% of these or less actually are good venture-worthy companies or, or venture capital fundable companies. Uh, but you have to approach it differently when you do that too, or you're taking high pressure, expensive money and you need to understand that fully. And, and I think some people maybe approach it as like getting the money is the achievement when really it's, it's almost like an obligation. Now you have to approach the whole uh, company building process from that lens, as opposed to going and starting your own company and funding your own company and building it your way, you can choose to do it however you want. But to your point, the results have spoken for themselves, right? The, the companies that have approached it this way have had significant successes, significant growth impacts on our world. Um, so I, I just, you know, it's maybe not fully understood on, on a lot of people what that actually means to go down that path. Yeah, I, I think uh, whether a, a company needs money or not and how much money mm-hmm. it needs, um, if you really sharpen your pencil, that's kind of a question of fact. Sure. I mean, just do the math. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, sometimes uh, some companies probably have an option of, uh, bringing in a little capital and doing some bootstrapping and uh, mm-hmm. get it, getting started and then pressing on the accelerator. <laughs> they don't necessarily have to go out and raise five or $10 million uh, in series a, um, but the amount of money that, that's going to be needed and over what period of time, uh, it is pretty much a, a, a question of fact based on your strategy. I mean, sure. you, you, you think through your strategy, you say, well, what, what's it going to take to build this? What's it going to take to capture uh, the competitive position we want? And, uh, you know, how do, how, do we, how do we go about doing that? And what capital is going to be required to do that? Mm-hmm. And that's math, usually. I mean, it, it's right. not, uh, oh, gee, I, I, I want to do this. I want to go out and raise $10 million and put that pressure on myself, or mm-hmm. I want to lay low and, and just uh, do this myself. You, you don't really have that option, usually, if you, if you look okay. closely at the strategy. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, it, I appreciate that because it, it demystifies what often is viewed as this very mystical type of scenario of raising institutional or, or venture type capital. So let's let's transition a little bit. I want to talk about 
culture and community a little bit. So as you think about, you've been, we were talking about, you've been in Southern California for a long time. You were a, a prominent venture capitalist based in Southern California. What do you, how do you think about the Southern California startup culture and what, what are the things you feel like we should be doing to really spur more of that to produce more? I mean, the way I think about it is it's a jobs thing. Like how do we produce more of the innovation jobs of the future from this economy? And that, that, you know, otherwise we're going to have more lower wage service jobs, hospitality jobs, you know, things that this is an expensive place to live. I almost feel like you have to orient more toward innovation type jobs just to allow the, the quality of life that people want to have here, right? So as you think about a culture around investing and working in innovation categories, what, what do you think we should be really thinking more about doing more of here? Well, let me give you a quick answer and then I'll sure. back out and give a, a yeah. little more perspective. So, so the quick answer, if you want more uh, companies, you want to create more jobs, you have to solve this management problem. Mm. So you, you don't need more ideas and more mm -hmm. patents and, mm -hmm. and more licenses and more, 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 more. What you need is more uh, what I call uh, fundable management. Mm -hmm. So you need fundable ideas with fundable management teams. Mm -hmm. and, and that's different problem than the one that a lot of people are, are uh, trying to solve. So mm -hmm. step back, I'll answer your question in a, in a little different way. Silicon Valley is the quintessential high-tech uh, venture capital uh, culture climate. Everybody wants to copy that, you know, mm -hmm. all over the country. I mean, I, I, I do these Google alerts and I do write, mm -hmm. write a lot of little uh, uh, social media posts. And uh, every time I look at my Google alerts, there's another uh, Silicon Stream, Silicon Mountain, mm -hmm. Silicon, uh, <laughs> something, yeah. whatever, you know, Silicon something or other. And uh, nobody's actually producing silicon there. Uh, no, I mean, but it, it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a uh, uh, you know, it, it's yeah. just a way of referencing Silicon Valley. Uh, and I, I've seen communities go bring in consultants and go through a lengthy process as well. We got the lawyers, we got the accountants, we got the universities and the technology and all this bunch of stuff. So we should be able to do just as well as Silicon Valley does. Uh, and that is, you know, that infrastructure that exists in Silicon Valley is an experienced infrastructure. It's built around uh, high-tech startups, and it does involve uh, lawyers and accountants and advisors and, and uh, sources of technology. You know, you got Stanford and mm -hmm. other universities up there, Berkeley, uh, and, and it goes on and on. But what a lot of these people don't understand, and they, they don't include it in their uh, calculation is that Silicon Valley has an incredibly large supply of experienced high-tech managers. Mm. The guy across the street with the Rolls-Royce has probably run three companies, uh, and it, there, there are just a lot of people up there who have recycled mm -hmm. once, twice, three times, and, and built uh, very successful high-tech companies. And that's a real prerequisite mm -hmm. uh, for, for making that happen. So when I see that somebody out in the middle of nowhere is going to start their Silicon Nowhere, I mean, 
that my reaction is, where's the management coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, who, who are the people who are going to run these companies? Who are the fundable CEOs, the guys who have done it before, that are going to be able to get, attract venture capital to these companies? Mm-hmm. So with that kind of in my, my uh, mind, uh, there are a couple other uh, places uh, in the country that have come fairly close. I mean, I, San Diego has a mm-hmm. pretty good uh, concentration of biotech and experienced mm-hmm. managers in, in the pharma and biotech world. Yep. Uh, Boston, uh, the Northeast has a, a pretty good mix, uh, mm-hmm. probably both uh, technology and uh, healthcare. I have always thought of Orange County as uh, a little bit in between there, mm-hmm. probably closer to the Silicon Valley model than almost any of these other ones are ever going to be, uh, because there are a lot of uh, experienced managers. There are. A lot of them are getting on planes and going to Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, they they just choose to live here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there have been a lot of good companies. I mean, now there are some very successful companies that guys are going to spin out of. Uh, Broadcom is an example. Mm-hmm. You, you've got uh, a lot of success, a lot of uh, historically, I mean, I think this was true and it probably still is uh, a good bit of focus on medical devices mm-hmm. um, and uh, th- that kind of technology. So I don't think there's any a, a real narrow focus, but I do think uh, that Orange County has more of a concentration of uh, fundable managers uh, mm. than a lot of these other places. Yeah. And I would say per square foot, <coughs> probably more than Los Angeles. Right. That's a really Los interesting. Los Angeles yeah. um, doesn't, you know, it's a little more diversified in the, the business areas. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have as much technology or healthcare focus, although there, there's, there's a lot of companies. But if you do it on a per square mile basis, sure. uh, it, it's, it's so spread out. So, so I think uh, Orange County is a good uh, uh, presents a lot of good opportunity for startups, and I I thought that back in the '80s when mm-hmm. we decided to focus Three I Ventures in Orange County, but we didn't find enough deals in Orange County to satisfy our appetite. Sure. We still ended up doing deals in San Diego and the Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's changed, I'm, I'm not really sure. My my guess is that. Uh, I think there's more venture capital funds right now. I don't know the exact number of venture capital funds that are really in Orange County, um, but my impression is that they're not the top tier. They're not the the, the, the mega funds. Not that you have to be a billion-dollar fund, <coughs> but the guys who have been very successful down through the years are running billion-dollar funds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, really, really great perspective. So as you think about, I mean, I, I would say a, a core part of our challenge currently is is a connectivity challenge. I mean, to your point, you know, getting the ideas with the capital, with the management and getting that all in the same room together, because the pieces, I believe, like you said, I, I believe really strongly the pieces are here. So in, any thoughts you have on how to spur more? I mean, that's why I sort of look at it somewhat cultural and community oriented to say, okay, how do we spur more collisions amongst those different parties of ideas? Because I agree with you, we don't need more ideas, but we need to get those ideas matched with the right people to, to execute on it with the capital to, to back it. So, you know, any, any models that, that sort of 
resonate with you on how to potentially do more of that. Well, let me talk about Monday Club for a minute. Sure. Uh, That's uh, great. It's not exactly our uh, uh, purpose uh, in Monday Club. <coughs> We're doing two things. We're giving companies a chance, uh, two companies every month, a chance to present to three different groups. Mm -hmm. uh, Monday Club is like a thousand people, but uh, an average month we might have uh, 60 or 70 in three different meetings. Uh, and purpose number one is to help them uh, tighten up their pitch deck and improve their chances of getting funded. I mean, it, a big success for us would be uh, a company that uh, ends up getting funded by Tech Coast Angels, for example. Mm -hmm. And recent example of that was Lori Torres's company, sure. uh, Parcel Pending. Great story. Um, the other thing that we're we're doing is on a fairly informal, uh, at low level basis, hoping that the companies that come in and present will find people in the room who can help them out in different mm -hmm. ways. And, and there's been a lot of that. I mean, there's one company in Orange County that formed its whole board of directors by pulling people from mm. Monday Club. That's awesome. So if we could help a company um, find some strong directors or the right CEO, for example, mm -hmm. uh, I would consider that a big success. If, if I were going to design an organization just to solve that problem, I would probably pull together half a dozen of the top uh, executive recruiters and get them to participate in some kind of a sweat equity program uh, mm. and do a lot of networking just with the focus on trying to bring experienced executives, I mean, the guys who are the fundable CEOs together mm -hmm. with the companies that need mm. the help. To me, that's the yeah. link. That's that it. Okay. Needs to happen, and there's not a good way to make that happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, if 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 I was uh, going to start a uh, accelerator, for example, I, w w the first thing I would try to do is pull together a bunch of executive recruiters and and uh, uh, just focus on that issue. Uh, you know, how do we either get the right uh, fundable managers into the company, or how do we build kind of a bridge? maybe provide some interim management, mm -hmm. uh, like my story about Novodyne Therapeutics, mm -hmm. get somebody mm -hmm. in there that the VCs will feel good about, at least to get some funding and then sure. cooperate. So somehow you've got to address that part of the problem, I think. Okay. Right. I, I think that's really instructive and uh, great, great ideas. So Couple, couple last things. I know Paul's starting to give the, the time sign. How, how are you thinking about? You've been, you've been through a number of cycles. We're in a uh, really um, kind of crazy environment right now. How are you thinking about the second half of this year and even 2021 for many people who are almost saying this is a throwaway year? It's, it's interesting. Um, Zoom has kept us going. That's right. In a lot of ways. I mean, I, I think Zoom has helped, helped us keep uh, momentum. And I know uh, Tech Coast Angels are doing their screening sessions uh, mm -hmm. on Zoom, for example. Uh, uh, Monday Club is continuing to operate. We're, we're having our meetings by Zoom. What I don't know, and I'm not sure I know how to, how to forecast this, is how many deals are actually getting closed. Yeah. You know, what, what, what impact uh, has uh, COVID-19 had on uh, actually getting deals signed mm -hmm. off. My guess is uh, that that's harder because the yeah. diligence process, it's hard to do by Zoom. I mean, mm -hmm. you, know, you can get first impressions, you can sort of decide to get started, uh, but to really go through a diligence process uh, is tough. 
So my guess is that uh, uh, we're going to see some slowdown in, in uh, activity. I, I think the startups keep coming. People keep mm -hmm. coming to us. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be the screening sessions and, and uh, a lot of process. Uh, my guess is that uh, fewer checks will get written in the next uh, six months, 12 months, maybe sure. maybe 18 months. Um, but, but I think it'll, uh, it'll recover. The startup industry has always been a very thin ribbon uh, of the venture capital activity, mm -hmm. and it's been fairly consistent. It's up and down a little bit. Yeah, crowdfunding may be taking some money uh, away. I'm not sure that either the crowdfunders or the angels are making a ton of money. I, mm -hmm. I think VCs are still do, doing the, the best job. So I think, um, you know, when we look back, um, uh, we'll, we'll say, well, it kind of kept going. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So uh, how do you keep yourself innovating and, and fresh? R reading license agreements, uh, reviewing documents. From, I've got about eight companies that I work with, uh, mm -hmm. uh, several of which are, are very active right now. Uh, we, we've got one company, uh, I've got a call. Tomorrow we're, we're uh, negotiating a distribution agreement for uh, uh, software as a service kind of a product. Uh, I've got another one we're uh, uh, trying to uh, redefine the company, basically come up with a different strategy, different growth strategy, and that's taken uh, quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, of my eight companies, any one of them can kind of pop onto my to-do list on any given day. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, um, there are about three right now. Uh, and I really enjoy doing that. I mean, I'm uh, providing some uh, guidance and leadership and working with some really uh, turned on, uh, knowledgeable, high-tech uh, experience, well, in, in some cases, biotech uh, experienced people. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, that's a challenge. I mean, I, people ask me why I haven't retired. I, I say, well, I, I, I retire between 7 and 9 every morning to the mm -hmm. golf course but uh, yeah. uh, for, for a little practice session. Mm -hmm. But uh, the rest of the day, I'm working pretty hard. That's awesome. Well, final lap here uh, at Accelerate OC today, Fred, and, and I'm so appreciative for your stories and, and thoughts. I always like to let my guests kind of leave a final piece of advice or key lesson that they've learned that they want to impart. So as you think about startup founders, you just were talking about how, you know, it's, it's much more uncertain environment right now about how and when they might be able to get funding, even if they are one of the ones that has that kind of fundable startup, fundable idea, what advice would you have for uh, founders in my audience who are, are really thinking about that right now? Well, that's a great question. All your questions have been really good, uh, Gary. It's, Thank uh, you. It's been a fun, uh, and I enjoyed going through your list. Uh, it's a, a fun process. Probably the essential point of my book, The Fundable Startup, is, is something that I think a lot of founders don't think about. They think about their competition, you know, who else might make the product mm -hmm. uh, or who might I have to compete against in the marketplace. But they don't think of themselves as having to compete for capital. Mm. And they really need to think about it that way. Uh, the, the way to think about that is that that investor or venture capitalist that you're talking to probably has 50 business plans on his desk, mm -hmm. stack like that. Uh, and a couple of them, have management, they have good ideas, ideas just as good, just as big uh, as yours, probably. 
but but some of those have management teams that have been successful before. Mm-hmm. They've built companies in the past. They can point to IPOs and unicorns and mm-hmm. say, you know, I did that, I built that. Uh, and you got to compete again. How do you compete against those guys mm-hmm. for the five hundred thousand bucks, the million, the three mm-hmm. million that you're trying to raise for your company? And you've got to think about it that way. Yeah, that's the first time anyone has ever shared that perspective, Fred. And I think that is so powerful and so important. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for doing what you do. You know, you've been a longtime contributor to this community, and I appreciate you for continuing to do so. You're definitely doing your part to accelerate SoCal and accelerate OC. So thank you very much. Thanks, Corey. Keep up the good work. Thank you. You've just listened to Accelerate OC. Join our live recordings every Tuesday morning at accelerateoc.com or listen, like, and share anytime from your favorite podcast spot. Let's accelerate OC together. 